Praise the Lord. What am I doing wrong? Say nothing. Lord. Hallelujah. I want to reiterate and reemphasize the children's ministry Suya fundraiser. Um, Pastor T, uh, there's, uh, we have a philosophy in the children's ministry. In God we trust, everybody else pays cash. <laughs> everybody else pays cash. And uh, regarding the Father's Day thing, you know, um, I remember one Father's Day where uh, my children came up to me to ask for money so that they can buy me a Father's Day present. <laughs> and so, I hope, I, hope, I hope you mothers don't mind that every now and again, fathers treat themselves. <laughs> the, the, there's an Igbo proverb. It says that the, you know this big red-headed lizard? It said the, this lizard fell from a tall Iroko tree one day and hit the ground and landed on its, on its feet. And he said he looked around, and since there was nobody there to applaud it, he decided to <laughs> applaud itself. Amen? So forgive us if we choose to applaud ourselves. Amen? We don't get to do it very often. And as Pastor T said, we were the ones that ponied up the money to cook the food anyway. Father, we thank you. I thank you for the privilege and opportunity to minister and to speak into the lives of your people. But I recognize that apart from you, I can do absolutely nothing. So I thank you that your grace enables ministry. And your spirit that empowers it, Father God Almighty, are both here present. And so, Father, we tap into that grace this day. We tap into that spirit, Father God Almighty, so that we might speak by the unction of your spirit, that we might hear by the power of that same spirit, so that everything will be done, Father God Almighty, under the anointing of your spirit, and that we'll be blessed for it. Amen. Be glorified and honored and praised in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. I want to, first of all, start by just a personal thanks to you. Um, I haven't had an opportunity to speak to you in this kind of uh, congregation since um, my father went home to be with the Lord. And I, I tell you, I want to thank you for showing my family what family is all about. My siblings and my relatives are still talking about the, re the reception and the way this church uh, rose up to honor a man that half of you did not even know. And so that, that sense of family, as a matter of fact, there was a lady that came that I work with. She said she likes this church, that she's going to start coming to this church. I haven't seen her yet, but I'll, I'll take her up on that offer. So thank you so very much. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your love. I, I mean, I look across the congregation and I see people in different ways. A lot of you gave, a lot of you prayed. I, I remember one time I broke down here. Pastor Mary uh, came up and just hugged me like only a mother could. Somebody had understood what I was going through. And a lot of you did that in a lot of different ways. So I thank you. Thank you so much. It has been the strength that has carried me. Because to be quite honest with you, I've, I've uh, struggled since then. Um, ever since my father died, and just give me a moment, please. 
I, I kind of got into work mode. So you were planning a funeral, going to Nigeria and coming back and dealing with, I'll tell you, if you're Igbo and you're a first son, when your father dies, I'll pray for you. Because <laughs> now I know the reason why some of them cry. It's not because they've lost their father. <laughs> But I got into work mode, and I never, was, uh, never had the time to really process the grief and the loss. I did in very small ways, and so the work is done, and now there's just this voice of silence, and all of those things I begin to work through. And so if I haven't been as cheerful and as cheery and as warm and as bright, as I'm all right. I'm just going through stuff. Amen? Amen. So I want to just say thank you. I was going to also mention, because I had a conversation with Pastor Bank, and he wants me to tell you that the give, biggest gift, the greatest gift you have given him as a father is the liberty to go and do what God has called him, to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost ends of the earth to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. That liberty you have given him is the greatest gift that you have given him as a father. And he wanted me to say thank you to that. And I also want to honor all the fathers in this house. And we'll get to honor you throughout the message. Oh, uh, talking about the message, when, when I got my thing, I was told I had uh, 15 minutes to minister. But by the time I got the mic, 15 minutes had gone. <laughs> it's all right if I don't have to use all my 15 minutes. Because, where's my wife? She's going. <laughs> In my house, we have a huge closet, and it's, it's both sides, right? Yes. And if you come to the house, my portion of the closet. So we're used to having our share taken out from us, and we do it gracious. We don't complain about it. Amen. So I will try, and uh, if, if my time is gone, I'll try and manage what little bit of time I have left to uh, say what I have to say. With the Holy Spirit enabling us, we'll probably get to it all. But before I do that, I want us to stand to our feet for a minute. Let us give true honor to the Father of fathers. The Father of lights in whom there is no variableness or shadow of turning. The one from whom all the families of the earth derive their name. The God that was, that is, and will yet be. That's the Father that makes fatherhood meaningful. So I want you to take a moment in whatever language and in whatever way you wish to express your gratitude to your father. Just take a moment to bless the father. Father, I bless you. I thank you. You have been a gracious father. You have been a loving father. You have disciplined and corrected me when I needed discipline and correction. Because of your love, you have provided for me. You have protected me. You have watched over me. You have encouraged me. You have persevered with me, Father God. You have been my ever-present help in time of trouble. You have been the light in the midst of my darkness. You have been water to me when I'm thirsty. You have been food to me when I'm hungry. You have given me clothes over my back. The sun has not smitten me by day, nor the moon by night. Because of your goodness, Father God Almighty, you have given me a place, Father God Almighty, in the role of your saints, Father God Almighty, and my eternity is secure because of you, Father. Because of you, Father. Because of you, Father. Because of you, Father. I will praise you this day and every other day because you are like a father like no other, a fire beyond compare. 
we give you glory and honor and praise in Jesus name amen, amen. hallelujah a small boy was asked to define Father's Day you may say it and the boy said it's just like Father's Day is just like Mother's Day only you don't get as much present <laughs> but I want to talk to you from the time that I have left on the subject of fathers still matter rediscovering or recovering the lost art of fatherhood my hope is that by the end of my message I would have encouraged fathers who have a very tough job to continue to hang in there it is worth it in the end I would have challenged those of us fathers that are shirking or slacking off in our duties to step up to the plate yes. and to get with the program. I would have equipped those of us that are men that are considering fatherhood with some tools that will help make you successful in that endeavor. That's the most important job you could ever do, the job of a father. And today, I, finally, I want to encourage all of us to truly celebrate our fathers, not just today, but every day. Again, I resort to my Igbo Proverbs. There's an Igbo proverb that says, if you praise a child for the little he has done, you encourage him to do even more and better. Amen? And as I pray, I pray as I, as I go through this message today, I, I may say some things. Now, I'm speaking primarily to fathers, but I recognize that amongst us are women that have the difficult task of raising children, of raising men. You were never a man. And so you're, you're learning on the job, as it were, even though that was not God's ultimate design. And so I don't want you to feel like anything I'm saying today is supposed to exclude you. We honor you. We, we celebrate you. We, we recognize the difficult task that you have. Yes. Amen? So I don't want you to feel like I'm talking down on or I'm excluding you in anything that I'm saying. I may say some things that, are, that may offend some, but it's not, it is not my objective to be gratuitously provocative. I don't want to be provocative just for the sake of being provocative. And I've decided up front, I made the decision up front now, that I've already forgiven you for the not-so-nice thoughts you will think about me. <laughs> and some of the not-so-nice glances you direct in my way, and so I've already forgiven you. I hope you can extend the same grace towards me. So say, you said yes? So say after me, Pastor Charles, I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. The Bible says you're bound by your words. Amen? Amen. Brother Greg said he didn't say that. Will one of the ushers please escort him out? <laughs> Uh, I, I want to tell you that fatherhood, especially biblical fatherhood, is under assault in our contemporary culture. Fathers that will be the fathers that God would be proud of are under assault. And a lot of men, a lot of fathers are wielding under that assault. A lot of us have taken the posture that let's, get, let's go along to get along. We have adopted the, the, uh, the lessons. We have adopted the tactics. We have adopted the uh, instruction of the world. And, and the problem with that is that we have become, as we do that, we have become less relevant in our culture, 
and in our homes. A lot of the conflict I believe that we experience in our homes as fathers is because we have abandoned the biblical mandate to do what God has called us to do. And so because we have abandoned our role, nature abhors a, a vacuum. We have created an opportunity for the enemy to step in and begin to distort what God has already. But I thank God today. I thank God that we still have fathers who have a spine who will stand up and say, my primary duty as a father is not to win a popularity contest. My primary duty as a father is to raise a generation that God can speak to and God can invest in. If you do that diligently and if you do that faithfully, Father, as I promise you in the end, your children will love you. Amen. A, 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 um, a man wrote a, um, and you've probably heard me say this before, it was an article in Reader's Digest, one of those little snippets. He said this, he said when I was 17, that it was amazing how clueless my father was. He knew nothing, he could explain nothing, he could do nothing. But now I'm 21, and it's amazing how much he's learned in four years. See, it wasn't that the father learned anything. It was that the boy grew up yes. and understood what it meant to be a man. Yes. I'm going to read to you an article, Why I Tell You Fatherhood is Under Assault Today. It's called Dumbing Down Dad. How media present husbands, fathers as useless. And I'll just skip down and read from here. It says, um, it's not hard to find if you watch TV. Then it's not hard to find. If you watch TV, then most likely you've witnessed the portrayal of the modern day husband and father as a lazy, incom as lazy incompetent, and stupid. Just these three characteristics are sure to bring to mind one commercial or sitcom that personality that personalizes personalifies that personifies this type of man. One evening after watching Homer Simpson wreck the family car at a monster truck rally and plunge a skateboard into a Springfield gorge, my six year old son asked me, Why are dads on TV so dumb? wrote John Theory from the New York Times. Where did we fathers go wrong? We spent twice as much time with our kids as we did two decades ago, but on television were oblivious, Jimmy Neutron, troubled, the Sopranos, deranged, Malcolm in the middle, and generally incompetent, everybody loves Raymond. These are TV shows. Even if dad has a good job, like the star of Home Improvement, at home he's forever making mistakes that must be straightened out by mom. Uh, the Dufus dad stereotype isn't new. Fred Flintstone, Dogwood, uh, Bumstead, and even Charlie Brown's uh, monotone parents. Uh, and then he just goes on to make the whole argument about how there's a negative portrayal of fathers and fatherhood. And, and for some of us, it, is, it may be innocuous, it may be fun, but it is not. There's a whole agenda that's tied to it. I, uh, in preparing for this message, I did a, uh, I did a search on how does Hollywood portray fathers. And that's where I got this article. The first one says, Dumbing Down Dad, How Media Presents Fathers as Useless. TV sitcoms, what in class fathers depicted as bumbling incapable. These are all search results. How mass media portrays dads, what you can do about it. 
Why does TV love to portray men as idle, feckless idiots? That's another search result. Survey, 80% of that same medium portrayal of fatherhood is wrong. No more. So this is a whole page of search results on fatherhood. And not one of them has a positive thing to say about fatherhood, especially in the media. Why is that important? Because we're a media-consuming culture. Most of us watch at least six hours of TV every week. And we're forming and shaping our opinion. One, actually, media is one of the seven mountains. That's what conditions and shapes the, the values within our culture. It gives power, it enables, and it speaks to those things. But we should not be defined by the media. It is important. What does God say on the matter? Who is a father? So on this day that we have set aside to honor fathers, what or who is a father? And I'm going to read you a few definitions. It says here, a father is a man who carries pictures in his wallet where his money used to be. Paul Harvey says this. He says a father is a thing that is forced to endure childbirth without an anesthetic. A father never feels worthy of the worship in a child's eyes. He's never quite the hero his daughter thinks. Never quite the man his son believes him to be. And this worries him sometimes. So he works too hard to try and smooth out the rough places in the road for those of his own who will follow him. Fathers are what give daughters away to other men who aren't nearly good enough. So, they have grand, so that they can have grandchildren who are smarter than anybody's. Fathers make bets with insurance companies about who will live the longest. One day they lose and the bet is paid off to the part of them they leave behind. Again, I talked about the media confusion. The church cannot be a lighter form of the world. God has asked us to be distinct and different, to come apart from them, so that when you look at the church, you can know that there's a distinct difference between the church and the world. Because if we don't do that, we have nothing to show the world. We can't outworld the world. We can only outshine, out-Jesus out the world. Because that's what God has called us to do. I'm going to be taking from my text this day, uh, uh, Genesis 1, 27 to 28, and Genesis 2, 5, 8, and 15. I'm going to be preaching on fatherhood from the book of Genesis. Whoa. So if uh, you'd give me Genesis 1, 27 and 28, please. It says here, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 28. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So what is the first thing we see? We see that out of the one God came the prototype for man and woman. Where did God get his model for woman? Where did God get his mother from man? It's important to know that man was created by God. God formed him and breathed his essence into him. But it was out of the woman, out of the man that the woman was taken. But it is in the nature and character of God to teach us lessons through things like that. 
it's important to understand that the reason why God created man and a woman is because in the context of the man, because a woman brings into that relationship, marriage relationship, a dimension of God that the man does not understand. So God has taken that dimension of him and invested in the woman. Now there's also in the man a dimension, an attribute, a nature of God that the woman cannot understand. But when you bring the two of them together, you bring a man together, you put him together with his wife, you have a complete picture of who God is. Because it is in that picture that the fullness of divinity is expressed. Man and woman are one, but they are not the same. Because God has never ordained them to be the same. There's a reason why, because it is in observing a man interact with his wife that expectations are set for a girl as to what to expect in a husband. It is in watching a father relate to his wife or to, uh, a, a husband relate to his wife that a, a, a model is set for the sons of how to treat their, their, their wives and the women in their life. If that model is distorted, then you have a dysfunctional view of life. You have men that go into relationships and abuse their wives. You have boys that call women names that I cannot even speak into church. You have misogyny in our media where women are presented as uh, things that you dig up earth with, you know, that you farm with. And they are called names that should only be restricted to dogs. That is something that's created from a culture that does not understand that there is a role for a man to play in a, in a relationship. There's a role for, in fact, there's a pastor, Pastor um, um, Adesila. I served with him in the African Christian Fellowship a long time ago. And he told a story. He said that, um, that some women had come to him and were complaining about his wife. And that they told him that his wife was a witch. And that he needed to deal with her. He said he listened very carefully. And he said, okay, do you know where they meet together? These witches, when they get together. He said, if they do, that, that they should let him know that he wants to go and join them in that meeting. That tells me that this is a man that understands that when the two came together, they became one. So, if we don't understand what God was doing when he created a man and a woman, we may be confused as to what the purpose of a man in a relationship is, what the purpose of a husband in a home is. And if our children are confused, the generations that are coming over are going to inherit the wind. So, that is going to set the context for what I'm about to tell you. It's important that we know this because the Bible tells us this, that the sin that one generation practices in moderation, the next generation will practice in excess. A stumbling stone in one generation is going to become a rock of offense in the next generation. If we don't get it right now, we're in for a world of hurt. The problem that we're facing in our culture today didn't start today. The problems in government today didn't start today. If you want to see where the problems are, go back one generation. Because the chickens are only coming home to roost. And if you want to get a glimpse of our future tomorrow, look at today. If it is all right in the church for half of our marriages in church to end it in divorce, 
then I'm telling you 100% of our marriages in the future are going to end in divorce. As a matter of fact, a lot of our children are choosing to cohabitate because the concept of marriage doesn't work for them anymore. Because they don't see a father present doing what he's supposed to do so they can shack up. Again, brethren, remember, this, God was speaking to Abraham. God said, I will make you a generation so God speaks in one generation with the eye on future generations. God is a generational God. But here's good news. The battle is not lost as long as there's a father in the house willing to engage. Why? Because fathers still matter. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4.15, For though you have 10,000 preachers, you have not many fathers. So what is a father? Based on that reading of scripture, the first thing you'll understand is a father is male. He's of the male species of the human race. In other words, he stands up to pee. And and you might say, well, uh, that should go without saying. But if you understand where the world is moving to, and those of you that are discerning will understand that this whole debate about what bathroom, who uses what bathroom, was not a vain debate. It is part of an agenda that is connected to minimizing and diminishing men and ultimately diminishing the work and the will of God in this generation. I'm going to read you. There's some, how many of you have heard of uh, this concept that's called, um, it's called gender neutrality? Let me find the exact word for it. Uh, let me, I'm going to pull up an article and read it to you. It all has to do with uh, gender identity. And the whole essence of it is to make gender a, non, a non-issue. Because the argument is that gender is really a social construct. It is an idea that we have men as, as people, especially also all of us paternalistic, uh, chauvinistic men. It is a concept that we have created so that we can subjugate the woman. So why we can remain in the ascendancy. But if you go back to the scriptures now, when God said, the Bible says, God made man in his image. That word man is the word Adam. It is speaking of a man, a person that stands up to pee. It is not speaking of humanity. When it is speaking of humanity, the word ha is put in front of it. Ha, Adam means humanity. But when the Bible talks of Adam, it's talking about a man. God made man in his image. By the way, Do you know what gender in a relationship determines the sex of a child or the gender of a child? Absolutely. The father. So does it make sense to you that maybe when God says that Eve was taken out of Adam's rib, that maybe that's what's playing out in our homes. That is in fact the man that determines what the gender of the child should be. And so literally every woman sitting in this room came out of a man. But let me tell you what this uh, whole argument is, gender being a social contract. It says children, this is our Washington State schools push fluid gender identity, transgender ideas on K through 12 kids. It says here, children in kindergarten need to understand that there are many ways to express gender, says a core idea in the newly released Washington State Health and Physical Education Standards. It says the standards name self-identity as a topic of the core idea of the K through 12 curriculum. 
and define gender as a social construct based on emotional, behavioral, and cultural characteristics attached to a person's assigned biological sex. That's a lot of words to say that gender is something we came up with. That there's no evidence in, 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 um, in uh, anthropology for, for the unique gender roles that we follow today. It says here, the gender identity claim is a sharp departure from conventional education and civic norms, which assume that young people with male biology will and should see themselves as boys, and that young people with female biology will and should see themselves as girls. Those conventional practices are, based by, are backed by science, statistics, experience, and parental preferences. For example, national studies suggest that only about one in 2,400 uh, uh, adults will switch their names from one sex to another. You can change your physical appearance. You can change your, you can use Botox to shoot yourself up, but you can never change your genetic makeup. You can never change your genetic makeup. A man is still a man, is still a man, is still a man. Regardless. In fact, somebody said this. It says, um, you know, uh, when Hillary Clinton won the um, uh, nomination for the Democrats, <laughs> she made a speech and said, you know, we've made history today. That for the first time in America, that a woman is uh, the, on the uh, leading uh, um, is leading the nomination, presidential nomination on a major political party. This person said no. What she should have said is this. For the first time in American uh, history, that a, a person that identifies as a woman <laughs> today... <laughs> because, again, for the discerning, if you recognize, if, it, if, 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 if uh, Heather's mother, if, if any of Heather's two mothers can be daddy or if any of Billy's two daddies can be mommy what violence is done to the, to the child in their psyche and what violence is done to what God planned and purposed in the beginning so these things and, and church we need to be wise and discerning the Bible says we need discernment in this time for a lot of us these things are mere political arguments I'm a liberal, I'm a Democrat, I'm a, I'm a conservative, I'm Republican. But you need to hear through the voice, the ears of the Spirit, that there's something that's going on there. If you're not discerning of it, you can't respond appropriately to it. There is a, I don't know, how many of you have seen a, a copy of the Feminist Bible? Feminist Bible, yes. The Feminist Bible changes the gender of God. To she. God becomes a she in the Bible. <laughs> Look, you all have, I'm sure some of you are already validating. I'm sure you're Googling now to see if this man is lying. Google it. So these things are not innocuous. There's an agenda that is supposed to minimize the role of men in our society. Because God has placed men here for a particular purpose. If you take out the men and you find that out a little later, things go seriously wrong. Oh, yes. 
I think it was Simbad, if you remember the Simbad. Simbad has a joke. He tells a joke. He says, you know, that, uh, that he doesn't understand women. That a woman will come and uh, she, she'll wear false nails. She'll, I'm sorry, I don't, I'm not speaking to any person. Okay. A woman will wear false nails. She'll wear false eyelashes. She'll wear false hair. She'll do this and that. But then she'll stand up and tell you, I want a real man. Father still matter. Father still matter. And by the way, if your primary identity is defined by your sex or who your sexual partner is, you're in trouble already before anything starts. Because your identity should not be defined by how you go to the bathroom. Your identity is to be defined that, first of all, you're created in the image of like and likeness of God. And that your child is God. And every other thing flows out of that identity. Because your objective now, okay, what does God say about who I am? And how do I conform myself to that? Do I, do, do, I'm telling you, do, do, do men struggle with lust? Yes. Do people struggle with stealing? Yes. Do people struggle with all of it? Is homosexuality a struggle, a legitimate struggle? Yes, it is. But how many men in this room will tell me that they have never seen a woman that is good looking and taking a second look? Don't put your hands up, please. I don't want... I, I know you have to go home with this people. But it doesn't mean that you start running after that woman and find... When you do that, the Bible says you're in adultery territory. So we all deal with struggles, manifestations of sins, and there are different manifestations of sin, but we don't go expressing and living out those manifestations and legitimizing them, no. We recognize this is a struggle, and so we look to God and say, Father, help me, because if you don't help me, things are going to go bad. The Bible says in Matthew 6.33, if we seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness, in other words, if we align ourselves closely with God and get our sense of essence, our sense of who we are, from God and God alone, that every other thing will be added unto us. We usually use that in the context of provision. But yes, God will provide for you the strength that you need to walk away when you are being tempted to do something that is inconsistent with the will of God for you. You don't normalize sin because you want to make make your lifestyle acceptable. We live in a culture now that defines things down. There's a psychology or a psychopathy for every condition that the Bible calls sin. Because if you can make it a a psychopathy, if you can make it a a condition, you take away the element of sin and then you can normalize it. It It's all right for you to be a kleptomaniac. Again, there's an evil proverb that says, I'm not calling you a thief. But how come every time you pass somewhere, something goes missing? (laughs) (laughs) So, a father is first of all a biological male. He is a man. No matter what the culture tells you, a father is, first of all, a man. The second thing a father is, is a provider. And that's where men get into trouble. That's where we get into trouble. Now, if you think about the whole creation process, if you look at the the, the pattern, the manner in which God created everything that was created, 
you recognize that God was setting up a biosphere, a system that would provide for man when man got on the scene. So he provided land. He provided land because the vegetation was going to be on the land. He provided water because the vegetation would nourish the water. He provided light because the, the vegetation needs the light to process food. The food would feed the man. So there's a whole environment that was set up for man before he got on the scene. God wanted to make sure that he made provision for man to succeed. Now, if you look at that process back again, when were the, the plants and the things that man was going to use, be used for food? When they were, were they created? On the third day. That's when God made all of that. But when was man created? On the sixth day. Now, if you go to Genesis 2, 5, I think 8 and 15, you'll find out the Bible says, because there was no man to work the land. And so God made Asam. Primary essence, God made Adam because Adam would work the land. And it wasn't until, until after God created Adam that God rested from all his works. Let me ask you this. Who was tending that garden? By the way, scholars will tell you that that garden was created along with all of the vegetation on the third day. There's some controversy about it. But all credible biblical scholars will tell you that the Garden of Eden was created when God created all the plants and the vegetation on that third day. Can I ask you then, if, if Adam was created to work the land and to take, tend the garden, if the garden was created on the third day, who worked and tended that garden between the third and the sixth day? It's not a true question. God worked it himself. So now you understand now why man became a retirement plan for God. In essence, what God did was God cloned himself. And because this was a perfect clone of God, God could say, I can now supervise and oversee. Because I have a person made in my image, empowered with the essence. The Bible says when he created man, he breathed into him his essence, his ruach. A part and a portion of God was invested in man. Man had everything he needed to succeed. So man was a clone of God running around. So it was all right for God to say, I have raised a son. I can now relax because posterity is taken care of. Amen? Amen. And so I'm saying that to make the argument that the instinct to provide is wired into man. Every man born of woman comes with an innate instinct, inbuilt instinct to provide. When a man doesn't do that, there's something wrong with him. But that instinct, just like every other instinct, the instinct to reproduce, the instinct to preserve ourselves, some of those things, if they're not tempered by the measure of the Holy Spirit, they run wild. And so what was intended to be a blessing becomes a curse to us. And so men now, because they have been wired by instinct to provide, we now feel like we need to work 24 hours a day to provide. The Bible tells us in Proverbs, I believe it's 23, 4 and 5, it says, do not overwork to be rich. See, because the provision of, man, of a man isn't just limited to providing materially and financially. If you're not providing emotionally, and by the way, I'm preaching to myself, so don't think I'm... And if you want to check whether I'm preaching to myself, ask my wife when I'm done. <laughs> the instinct to provide 
is wired into man. But that instinct to provide transcends financial provision. It includes providing for your family, for your children, emotional support. It, believes, it includes providing for them psychological support. And yes, it includes providing for them the most important thing, which is the spiritual support. Because God's intention when he made man was that he would have replicas of himself to subdue the earth, to overpopulate the earth, and to overwhelm the earth. In Malachi, the Bible says, why has he made two of them one? God says he has a problem with the children of Israel. But he was, using the, he was using the men as an example to illustrate that problem. He said, I have a problem with you, that you have violated your covenant, the covenant you made with the wife of your youth. What was that covenant for? The covenant was so that you could uh, uh, perpetuate and, and, and have godly children, godly seed in all of the earth. But you're walking away, you're breaking your covenant with your wife. And God says, no, I don't like that. All, all studies and, uh, and statistics tell you that a child that is provided for emotionally, spiritually, can do without the toys. Yes. There was a... Um, okay, how much time do I have left? Um, when, when my wife and I got married 20 years ago... I have to get the number right or I'm in trouble. <laughs> so it was many years ago. You all had that clearly, right? Yes. I remember very distinctly that I left because her family had come into town. So they moved into my apartment. And so I left and I was staying with this family. They, some of you know them. They are Kona was. Now, these were very the close brothers, friends of ours. But where they lived in that time, I think he had uh, three or how many children at the time? No, they had four. Three, three or four. But they lived in this town. It was a very small thing. And I knew they were struggling at the time. In fact, the man was telling me that sometimes all they would have for, for meals was just peanut butter bread. But if you saw those children, if you saw those children, you wouldn't know that they lacked anything. Because there was so much love in that home. The children didn't feel like they were inferior to anything because they didn't have the latest i6 phones. My daughter, I remember when she was uh, coming through high school, she told me, Dad, I want a BMW, I want a BMW, I want a BMW. First of all, I asked her, what have you done to earn a BMW? <laughs> what have you done to earn a BMW? If I buy you a BMW now, what do you have to aspire to for yourself? So children that are raised in balanced homes, where there's love between father and mother, where there's, where there's emotional support, not just from mommy, but from mommy and daddy, where there's, where there's a, a, a balance of affection, a balance of attention, will do relatively better than children that are raised in wealthy homes where all they, adult, all they have is, they are, is indulged. They have all the toys. Because at the end of the day, I remember when my father passed away, when I was uh, thinking of what to say about him in a tribute. What I didn't remember was the shoes he bought for me. I didn't remember the clothes he bought for me. What I remember was the time he spent with me. Amen? So a father is a provider. 
And in that, and again, part of the problem most men have is not helped by verses of scripture like 1 Timothy 5.8. If a man does not provide for his family, especially those of his household, he's, he has denied the faith and is worse than an evil infidel. Some men will tell you, okay, if I work 24 hours a day, I have more to give to the church. So, by, by the way, my, my, my life that is out of balance, I give God the credit for that. Who tells you God needs your money? Amen? So, finding that life balance is something men, fathers, we have to work on. I will not tell you the story of a man that took his work with him on his honeymoon. I will not tell you that. If you want the rest of the story, go talk to my wife. <laughs> Folks, it's not all about money. Half the money we spend, we are spending to impress people we don't like. Just because we want to keep up with the Tom's, the Dick, and the Harry's. We want to give a certain impression our appearance. In the, in the final analysis, those things don't matter. It's, there's more to money involved. It says, one night a woman found her husband standing over their baby's crib. Silently she watched him. As he stood looking down at the sleeping infant, she saw on his face a mixture of emotions. Disbelief, doubt, delight, amazement, enhancement, skepticism. Taught by his unusual display and the deep emotions it aroused in her. In, in her with eyes glistening with tears. She slipped her hand, the woman slipped her hand around her husband and said to him, a penny for your thoughts. The guy said, it's amazing. I just can't see how anybody can make a crib like that for Number three, let me tell you three, four, and five, just in case I don't get to them. But number three, the father is a representative. He's an ambassador. A father represents God. Number four, a father is a reproducer. Every father has to be able to reproduce themselves. And number five, a father is a protector. Um... I've just been told I have uh, not as much time as I do. So I'm going to kind of talk about a representer first. A father represents God before his family and before the world. Remember, God's first primary assignment was to Adam was that he was going to have dominion, exercise dominion, even in the earth, as God exercised in, in heaven. So a man's primary duty is to represent God is to kneel humbly before God on behalf of his family so that he can stand boldly before them for God. If a man has not invested the sweat equity and the time to intercede before God on his family, he has no right to dominate or domineer over his children. It is that time that you spend before God that gives you the boldness and ability and the wisdom to be able to talk to your children. And so fathers... Fathers, it is important. 
Again, even as we talk, as we talk about dominion, that dominion and domination are not the same thing. Dominion is power and authority under God. Domination is enforcing the will of, a, of man over another person. The two are not compatible. They're not, God did not call you to dominate your family. God called you to have dominion. Exercise godly, godly authority in your home. Amen? Oh, let me go back to the previous point. I, I, it's important that I say that. Because as we do counseling, remember I said a man's primary duty is to provide. And the first assignment God gave to Adam was the was the duty to, to work and to take care of the garden. For you fathers here who have young daughters, when that man comes to your house and tells you they want to marry your daughter, you need to ask them, what garden or whose garden are you tending? Do you have a J-O-B? Okay. So, um, now, I said, I said this, that the father is a representative and a representative of God. God was not a distant father. He came, the Bible tells us he came down in the cool of the evening to hang out with his son Adam, to check on how Adam was doing. God was not a distant father. Fatherhood is not something, godly fatherhood is not something you can do from a distance. Yes. I was talking to a young couple here that are separated by distance. I will not call them by name. But I called this person up one day. I said, I'm concerned about you that you have a young marriage, you are here, your husband is there. That is a sign, that is not a, a, a good thing. You need to find a way to bridge that distance because the first essence of fatherhood is to be present. You can't represent a God unless you're present. Yes. Amen? I remember when my, dad, uh, my daughter was born, uh, when, when we were pregnant with Ada, I was so excited to be a father. And so I'd run back from home every time. And after eating, the first thing I would do is put my uh, uh, mouth by my uh, wife's big stomach and I would start saying things to this girl. I will pray for her. I would call her by name. I would just sing the praises of God for this gift he has given to us. And fast forward to the day she was born, Northside Hospital. I can't forget that. She had been born. I went home to get something. I can't remember what it was I came to get. But here her mom was sitting on the bed holding the girl like this and I'm walking through the door that way and the moment I speak this little baby that's barely a day old turns around in the direction of my voice fathers we must be present and for those of you that are fathers that are present thank you for being a father A father is a reproducer. That's just passing your faith. You, fathers, we need to give attention to our faith. Because children will live out what we model for them, not what we instruct them on. When the Bible says, train up your child in the way you should go, that word training means to instruct by demonstration. Give attention to your faith. Psalm 112, 1 to 2. Okay, time is almost up. He said, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. His children shall be mighty upon the earth. A father is also a protector. 
And by protection, I just don't mean mere physical protection. A father, when the Bible says train up a child in the way she go, that's the way we read it. Let me read that verse of scripture for you in uh, the Amplified. It says, train up a child in the way he should go and in keeping with his individual gift or bent. And when he is old, he's not. Every child comes with a dream wired from God. The Bible tells us it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. It is the glory of kings to search them out. Our primary duty as parents is to find what is that gifting, that talent, that dream that this child is born with and find a way to actualize that dream. That's what God did for Joseph. That's what he did for Abraham. That's what he did for us through Jesus. Amram and Jochebed, in spite of the threat, because Amram and Jochebed were Moses' parents. They had given a decree that every baby should be killed. But the Bible tells us these people looked at Moses and said, this boy is beautiful. And beautiful is not in the sense that we understand it. They knew that there was something unique and special about this child. And so, because of the giftings they saw in this boy, they were willing to imperil their own lives to preserve this one life. So they hid the baby because they saw that this was a baby with a gift. Parents in this, what are the giftings and callings in your children? What are you doing? How are you actively encouraging those dreams? And remember, they are not your dreams. They are their dreams. Don't leave your dreams out vicariously through your children because you embitter them and you provoke them to rat. It is their dream. Find a way to help them actualize their dream. If you do that, you would have done exactly what the father would do. And then... Um, I have, I have things here about how can you make the dream happen, but we'll talk about it sometime. So let me close this, this morning with a father's tribute. John Drakeford, a prolific author and late of, uh, professor of psychology and counseling at Southwest Theological Seminary, dedicated one of his books as follows. To my two sons, Warwick and Brenton, teachers in the art of family living, who in the process have put gray hairs on my head, bills in my pocket, illustrations in my sermons, happiness in my home, and pride in my heart. I am certain that's the way every father feels about their children today. Let me, let me tell you what the world would look like without fathers. Consider this fact from a man who wrote a book on fatherless America. It says, tonight, 40% of all American children will go to sleep in a house in which their fathers do not live. Before the age of 18, more than 50% of our children will spend a significant portion of their childhood living apart from their fathers. A generation ago, an American child could reasonably expect to grow up with a dad. Today, they can reasonably expect not to. Fatherlessness is the most harmful demographic trend in this generation. Fatherlessness is closely correlated to poverty, drug and alcohol abuse, mental illness, and I have all the varying percentages, suicide, poor educational performance, Teen pregnancy and criminality in children, according to the National Center for Health Statistics. 70% of juveniles in state reform institutions grew up with no fathers present in the house. 43% of adult inmates grew up in a single parent home, mostly without their dads. 30% of children living with never married mothers, 22% with divorced mothers, repeat a grade compared to 12% of those living with both biological parents. So thank you, fathers. Thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for everything that you represent. Last week, we celebrated children and all of their accomplishments. We were, in fact, celebrating fathers because 
those children succeeding is because fathers have done what they're supposed to do. I look around and I see children today. A lot of them came here with their fathers. Thank you, fathers, for doing the thing that, you should do, that, that, that God expects you to do so that we can continue to celebrate these children. Thank you. As long as there is a man that will refuse to bow the knees to the gods of this world, of political correctness, who will hold up the light of biblical truth in the church place, the marketplace, the home place, the workplace, and any other place where the will of God will take them. Men who will stand up straight, when we will stand up and stand straight, no pun intended, and take the battle to the enemy's gate. A man that will stand up and say, perhaps I have not done it right, but today is a new day, the dawn of a new beginning. It's all over to, for the enemy. And it's those fathers and those men that we salute today. May God bless you and keep you and continue to empower you to be the kind of father that you should be. Amen.